Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to see all of you and bring to you greetings from your siblings in New London, Connecticut. Our church home, our historic church home, is so similar to this one, right down to the stained glass window, both Tiffany's, both of the same pastoral Jesus. And so it feels so much like home here, even made more so by your warmth and especially by my dear colleague and friend, Reverend Frank Clarkson, who has been for me such a dear friend and has um, really gone out of his way, not only to welcome me, but to welcome and love the folks that I serve. So thank you to Frank and to Abby. Thank you, Nathan. Nathan, what a beautiful musician you are. Thank you to all of you for welcoming me. There are sermons for which inspiration comes in on little cat feet, as the poet said, subtly making itself known like the soupy fog that rolls down from the Long Island Sound where I live and settles into my neighborhood. Evidence of the sermon's driving point mysteriously seems to appear everywhere. This sermon was one of those. One helping of inspiration was hand-delivered right to my door in the form of a flyer, this one, hanging on the knob. And this is what it says. Bad but true news. You are a sinner. Sinners deserve to go to hell. Can you imagine hanging this on someone's door? <laughs> Good news. God loves sinners. There is a way to heaven. How? Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He now sits on the throne. What must I do? Repent. God, you are right and I am wrong. I am guilty. So ends the door hanging. And then more inspiration came in the form of a letter I received after preaching at the summer chapel in town, right in my neighborhood, in fact. I preached on the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I had preached a version of this sermon a couple of weeks earlier at All Souls. The choir sang Bobby McFerrin's interpretation of the song, the, the one that he composed in his mother's honor. And that version of the psalm is actually in Singing the Journey, our teal hymnal. Pequot Chapel is often frequented by summer people. And so this woman was visiting family in the area and thought she would go to church. Her experience that morning, to say the least, was not what she had expected. Out of sincere concern for my soul and the souls of those I serve, she wrote me a three-page single space complete with 14 scriptural references letter. In fact, she was so concerned that I imagine her saying to herself, now that I think about it, I better send this letter to each of the entire staff at All Souls. And so several days later, 
Each staff member received a copy of the same letter. Now, if she had access to the names and addresses of every member of All Souls, she may well have sent a copy of that letter to each one of them. And if she had known that I would be standing before you today, I'm sure out of great concern, she may have sent that same letter to each one of you. But as she did not and therefore has not this morning, I will share just part of what she wrote to me. Jesus is the only one true and living God. He loves you and yours completely. The Father receives those who have received Jesus. The Holy Spirit is received by individuals who have accepted what Jesus did for them 2,000 years ago. There will come a time when all men will stand before the Lord, and on that day, you and I and your congregation stand before the Father. We will be judged by the choice of receiving or rejecting his Son, but the choice is ours. So ends the quote. I am sure that this woman and the folks of the Citywide Baptist Church, who left this for me, are as sincerely concerned for my soul as I am sincerely concerned for theirs. To be clear, I don't share the flyer and the letter content with you because I'm offended or because I am alarmed. A little alarmed, I have to say, by, by the... Uh, the door handle greeting I received. We all get to have our own beliefs, after all. And I share them instead to point out an approach to religious and spiritual life that no longer resonates to most liberal seekers. Diana Butler Bass's book, Christianity After Religion, The End of Church and the Birth of a New Spiritual Awakening is a huge inspiration to me, and I understand that Frank received similar inspiration when he read the book. As I read, I felt a continuous sense of excitement. There are amen scrawled in margins, page after page after page, as well as Unitarian Universalism has made this shift, or we're on the verge of making this shift. I believe that Unitarian Universalism is a faith for the 21st century, and Butler Bass's thinking felt to me like the blueprint. So let's return to the doorknob flyer in the letter because theirs is the approach that Butler Bass calls the what of belief, the what of belief. What as in the stance that religious life is only about what one believes. That's all the flyer and the letter are about, right? After all, each is a litany of what one must believe. As in, sinners deserve to go to hell. As in, the Father receives those who have received Jesus. Or, as in, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As in, every creed crafted to serve as a litmus test of right belief through a series of statements about what one must believe. But these beliefs are the intellectual content of faith. And today, in these times, liberal religious seekers care less about the what, because traditional doctrine makes seekers, many of us anyway, weary. 
On your website, you describe it like this, that you are a church community that helps you connect with God, the spirit of life, or whatever you call the source of life and love. Or whatever you call the source of life and love. I love that line. It opens up the way to exploration and revelation that is ongoing. It opens up the way to what Butler Bass names as experiential faith rather than a belief-centered religion. Instead of what, we are asking how because how is an emerging spiritual question rather than a conventional spiritual convention question. Says Butler Bass, how is a question of meaning and purpose that pushes us into a deeper engagement in the world rather than memorizing facts? How many of you are former Catholics who memorize the Baltimore Catechism or some form of a catechism? Right. As in, how does belief make a difference how is the world transformed by believing? I think you said it well, from fear to fearlessness. To make her point, Butler Bass shares this story. She's at a Lutheran church speaking with a young woman who says, I don't even know if I believe in Christianity, says this young woman, or in Lutheran doctrine or in anything like that. I just experience how to love God and how God loves me through these people. By learning how to quilt, by singing these hymns, I don't know what to call it, but it's less about believing and more about living. I bet that resonates with many of you, based on what so many of you shared as you lit candles of hope and intention. How is it with your living? For it matters less how people are here, how many people are here every Sunday morning, then it matters how many people live differently because you are here every Sunday morning. That said, many congregations, all souls included, we pay careful attention to the number of people who show up on Sunday morning. We count. And we compare from month to month and from year to year. It is a barometer of sorts. No matter the size of the congregation, 30 or 500, paying attention to who and how many show up on Sunday morning offers important insight. And so we pay attention to the people who come to church on Sunday morning doing that old-timey and supposedly outmoded, out-of-touch thing we do, and doing so in the face of increasing volume of the voices that say, the church is dead. To which I say, long live the shape-shifting, welcoming, caring, justice-seeking, experiential church. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Indeed, long live the church that cares more about the how than cares about the what.
In fact, in every generation comes the claim that religion is dead. Come the warnings that so great are the cultural shifts that our slow-moving congregations will not manage to shift with the tides and thus be washed out to sea. But as the song goes, we are still here. Why? Because we are a people who deftly adjust to the churches, we adjust the church's sales. We sell beloved buildings, as my congregation did, and buy different ones that better suit our needs. We look inward, and we sense there the soul stirrings that mean to continue on, but to continue on in a way that is relevant to our needs as people living now. So we care less for the question that asks, do you believe in the resurrection? But our lived experience tells us when we witness resurrection over and over and over and over again. That's experiential faith. And that's what brings us together week after week because the world turns on the power that we generate together here. We are more powerful when we move together and on the side of love. We are more powerful when we put our money together. Don't forget to turn in your pledge card. <laughs> we are more powerful when we sing together. We are more powerful in our shared effort to keep kindled the little spark of hope that reminds us that we are none of us alone ever. We are connected to all. And here is an example of the experience of that connection. As many of you know, four or five years ago, the congregation I serve in New London and this wonderful congregation here in Haverhill, Massachusetts, we were matched in a program designed for mutual support and encouragement called Leap of Faith. All souls, we had previously been matched with our congregation in Des Moines, Iowa, and at that time, we were the mentee congregation, and we were so grateful to lay down our conundrums to examine together. Perhaps this were, will sound familiar to all of you. We were stuck in quite a few places, and we did not know, could not see a way to get unstuck. Does that sound familiar? Does that happen sometimes on occasion here in Haverhill? Our faith siblings in Des Moines reminded us of the power of deep listening. They held up a mirror, and what do you know? We figured out how to loosen ourselves from some of the barnacles that were keeping us too close to the shore. When we were matched with all of you, this time as mentors, we had learned that listening deeply would be really our most powerful offering. And really, we did little more than that. Actually, we laughed a lot too. Right, Serena? Right, Carolyn? Abby? And we delighted in each other's stories. And we kind of fell in love with each other. And with all the knowing that as congregations, we are not alone. We were reminded that we belong to each other through assurances of communion and company, new possibilities emerged, new visions. We all were reminded that resurrection happens. 
Together, we held up the how of church life. Experiential faith. The belief directly affects the way we live our lives. The how rather than the what. Your how is your participation in the community gardens, hosting the drop-in center, donating to the open hand pantry. Your how is transformed hearts and ethical action as the wise woman describes. By doing something so out of fashion as being part of a faith community, you are doing something that is deeply radical. You are stepping out of the common isolation of our age and saying yes to a different vision of the world, one that asks how and welcomes the answers of all who seek a welcoming and caring and justice-seeking community and world. Thank you for having me. Blessed be and amen.